It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, June 11th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. A House panel sets out to prove last year's Capitol riot was more than just a violent breach. A brazen attempt, as one rioter put it shortly after January 6th, to overthrow the government. I'm Kevin Cork. With the national economy struggling and consumers reeling, congressional lawmakers still somehow managed to find tens of billions of dollars to send to Ukraine. How are we going to send billions of dollars to help secure the Ukrainians when we can't even do the simple work of securing America? I think that's the thing that really has has Americans frustrated. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. January 6th of last year was the culmination of an attempted coup spurred on by former President Trump. That's the case. Members of the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot say they will prove over the upcoming weeks. A brazen attempt, as one rioter put it shortly after January 6th, to overthrow the government. The violence was no accident. In a primetime hearing intended to be an opening argument, committee chairman Democrat Benny Thompson and vice chair Republican Liz Cheney made clear who they think is responsible for the Capitol breach. And aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. Live testimony included accounts of the battle that ensued outside from Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards. I can just remember my, my breath catching in my throat because I, what I saw was just a, a war scene. Excerpts of taped depositions with former senior administration officials were played, including from former Attorney General Bill Barr, who relayed his conversations with former President Trump about election fraud allegations. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. The president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, a senior advisor in her father's administration, said in a recorded interview with the committee she accepted Barr's position. The primetime nature of this first hearing was not the only unusual aspect. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy does not have any appointees on the panel after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi rejected two of his five picks. As a result, the other GOP members boycotted. Pelosi then appointed two Republicans on her own, Cheney and Illinois Republican Adam Kinzinger. That dynamic, Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik says, has set up an unfair process. This is a partisan witch hunt. It has been that from the beginning. This is about punishing Nancy Pelosi's political opponents. And so that is where we will start this week with Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Well, the problem the committee faces is the problem it had all along, that no matter what evidence it may present, 
does it resonate with people who are loyal to the former president? That's the question. Or if you just look at social media after the hearing last night, you know, complaining about their terms, crocodile tears from the uh, Capitol Police officer who suffered a traumatic brain injury to people, you know, who are more loyal to the president, to, you know, maybe the, the mainstream Republicans now saying, well, you know, this is all a witch hunt by the Democrats uh, and everything else. So when you have that compendium of evidence and you've not been able to break through before, what makes you think that you're going to be able to break through now? That mm -hmm. said, uh, there's something to be learned from history in all this, Jared. In 1973, uh, you had the Senate Watergate hearings, and they happened starting in the late spring, moving into the summer, and were carried by the TV networks. In fact, what they would do is they would kind of skip around, you know, NBC one day, CBS the next, and then PBS would air the whole thing that night and or snippets of it, and that's how the old McNeil-Lair News Hour started. Uh, Jim Lair and Robert McNeil, which yeah. is now the News Hour program. And that started to get some traction with the public. And the difference was is that you had the Congress and the public eventually opposing Richard Nixon, who won in a landslide in 1972. But, you know, it took about, you know, not, you know, not quite a year or so, you know, the Watergate break-in was the year before. Those hearings were in 73. President Nixon resigned in the summer of 1974. So you can see kind of a slow drip, drip, drip. Is history our guide in this? I don't know. We will probably know by the time we get to the middle of next week and, and have gone through some of these hearings as to whether or not this is starting to resonate with the public. Because heretofore, nothing has. And it doesn't matter how slick your TV production is or your stagecraft or whether you brought in the former president of ABC News. The way that I viewed Thursday night was if you were to view this as sort of a trial, and I know that's not what this is, though this is certainly, to your point, the court of public opinion, uh, prosecutors will, will make their opening statements, and they'll sort of take a lot of time to walk the jury through what they intend to prove through the course of the trial. Is that what Thursday night was? Yes. Uh, I mean, they are taking, frankly, as you put it, you know, kind of a very lawyerly approach to this, where you kind of lay out the facts. But I did an interview on Friday morning with Todd Belt. He's a professor at uh, George Washington University here in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and he pretty much said that as much. He said, but the problem is, is that the facts about January 6th, depending on who you talk to, are very much in dispute. And even depending on which day you talk to Kevin McCarthy, if you listen to some of the audio tapes, which were leaked out, you know, a month, six weeks ago or so, and then compare that to some of the things that, that Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans try to say about this now. Uh, so, you know, who do you believe in that sense? I mean, there's some pretty damning evidence about what they what they presented. And one thing I got to say, Jared, to be honest with you, I mean, when I watched some of the, the video, uh, that was striking um, because, you know, people like you and me, we work in this building. Mm -hmm. That was disturbing to watch, as disturbing as everything else was about January 6th and all the other things that we've seen and heard uh, since that fateful day here in Washington, D.C. I mean, that was kind of hard to watch as, as somebody who works in this building and to see it desecrated in that fashion, regardless of one's political stripe or anything, you know, the U.S. Capitol, the Citadel of Democracy, especially on a day that important. I mean, that was a little bit hard to stomach and then hearing the testimony of the police officer uh, who was badly injured that day. Mm -hmm. yeah, she talked about being knocked unconscious and, and yeah. sort of describing this hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat like a war zone. Um, describing you know, we it as also a movie, saw, said there was so much blood on the floor that, that on she the slipped. sidewalk, she was yeah. slipping on it. I mean, that's yeah. extraordinary. Um, 
you know, the other thing that I thought was notable, because I don't I'm trying to think of a hearing where we've seen. Have we seen videotape depositions played publicly in a hearing like this? You know, we see the former attorney general, Bill Barr, um, and we won't use the same colorful language he used, but basically telling the committee uh, through his deposition I told the president that this was BS, and that's ultimately what led to his resignation. We saw similar um, uh, depositions, excerpts of those from uh, attorneys that were working on behalf of the Trump campaign. How unusual is it for committees to share that work product? It's, it's a little bit unusual to do it in a video sense. Now, it's not unprecedented to have things played out. Uh, in time or appear in, you know, final reports from committees or things like that. But you got to remember, you know, the the essence of January 6th and the riot itself was was the video. You know, everybody has a cell phone camera now. Uh, mm-hmm. There was all sorts of video from security cameras uh, that came out from the Capitol Police and other security forces, just people on the street, other journalists and things. So there's a pretty good video uh, library there about what happened on that day. And so you have to take that and then say, well, you know, we have to put words to this. And so you're going to do that with comments from Jared Kushner and from Ivanka mm-hmm. Trump and from Bill Barr, as you say. So, you know, th- that's what they're doing. This was not your usual hearing. But we've seen this before when they, uh, you know, wanted to play the videotape deposition, uh, you, you know, when there was the impeachment of President uh, Clinton in 1998. This was, a, you know, the special prosecutor, Ken Starr. So there was, you know, that. I remember during the baseball player steroid hearing in 2005, uh, you know, you had live witnesses there, but you had um, other witnesses being beamed in. Uh, you had Frank Thomas of the Chicago White Sox mm-hmm. at that stage. In fact, I remember because they barely got Frank Thomas on the air because they couldn't get the signal in, you know. But, uh, you know, imagine technology, you know, 17 years ago. So, yes, it was unusual, but people might say, well, this was an unusual event. And it's unusual in the sense that you have Republicans who are not cooperating with the committee investigation and boycotting serving on the committee. Now, you might say, well, you know, that's Nancy Pelosi's fault, the Speaker of the House. Uh, You're right that she vetoed, uh, you know, a couple of the people that Kevin Mm -hmm. McCarthy, the minority leader, wanted to put on the committee. But it's pretty much unprecedented to have the other side say we're not even going to participate. Uh, that's a, that's a big difference there. And so maybe that's why the Democrats say, okay, if you're going to cede us that time and cede us that opportunity, we are happy to fill the vacuum. Well, and that's another thing that made this hearing strange, because usually you have the majority party sort of present the case. You have the minority party offer a rebuttal. That's sort of how we saw the Benghazi committee and things like that play out. And that's not going to be anything that we see moving forward. My expectation, and I'm curious to get your take, is that all of these hearings moving forward next week and beyond are going to have the same similar kind of script. They're going to be very uh, formulaic in, in that sense, right? We're not expecting a lot of surprises, at least uh, between the members on, on this committee. Right. But, but you know, the one thing to watch is at no point uh, have they presented so far, and again, it's just the first of several hearings here, have they come out and said, oh, you know what, here's the problem. President Trump said at some point, I know I lost, but let's go do these dirty mm-hmm. deeds anyway, something to that effect. Yeah. That We don't have any evidence of that, and what they presented, that, would, that would be the smoking what, yeah. gun in this case. And what they presented Thursday was people telling him that. Right. And so and whether or not and this is why Liz Cheney in her famous soundbite now, you know, says that, you know, he kind of lit the flame that fueled the riot. You know, in other words, you were you were fostering this idea that the election was stolen. It got people to Washington, D.C. It got them revved up and they stormed stormed the Capitol. You know, but this this issue of the Republican service on the committee, it cuts two ways, Jared. 
it cuts two ways in the sense that if you don't have Republicans on the committee, and this was kind of the goal, I think, of, of Republicans, to not serve on the committee. And of course, you got Liz Cheney, you have Adam Kensinger of Illinois, but again, the, the, the Republican appointees that McCarthy wanted. You know, that calls into question the, not legitimacy here, but the validation of the committee, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether or not, you know, everything is on the up and up, whether or not this isn't, quote, a a partisan attack against the former president or something of that nature. So that's one part. But here's the problem for the Republicans, not Liz Cheney and not Adam Kinzinger, but McCarthy and others, because they don't have a voice on this committee. And they can't say, well, Mr. Chairman, you said this point of order, you know, you get that usual stuff you see in a hearing or tough questions to the other witnesses or they're not calling their witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, frankly, they might not want to call their witnesses because the witnesses they have might not be that credible. Uh, and this is where the conversation came, uh, turned last night, where uh, Liz Cheney talked about uh, Scott Perry, the Republican congressman from Pennsylvania, among others, had asked for a pardon. Uh, from the president uh, before, uh, you know, he left office in January of 2021. Uh, He's one of the five people uh, who has been subpoenaed by this committee and has refused to comply. Congressman Perry put out a statement that called that charge from uh, Liz Cheney an absolute shameless and soulless lie. I guess I'll finish with this, Chad, and that is sort of what is the outcome of all of this? Uh, I guess we expect a report from this committee, um, but The United States Congress can't charge people with crimes. The United States Congress can't, you know, arrest anybody. Um, What is sort of the the outcome here? Where does this lead ultimately? Well, it leads to that report first and then see if this moves the meter with the public. And I'm not talking about necessarily winning the midterm elections or people, you know, the committee would say it's a success. And people say, you know, we really think that what was going on uh, by the former president and others associated with him, you know, there were some bad deeds done there, and uh, and the public opinion changes. That has not happened. You know, President Trump is still the most popular figure in the Republican Party. Uh, so that hasn't moved yet. Uh, the other part of this is we might not see it for quite some time or even in our lifetimes. You know, sometimes, you know, people, there, there is going to be a voluminous historical record of this. And it depends which side wins out. Let's say uh, the Trump wing of the Republican Party continues to pick up steam and continues to excel. Uh, maybe this side uh, of the equation, you know, in the long arc of history here doesn't co- quite play out uh, the way that the committee would like. Or maybe at some point, you know, people come back and say, look, look at what this committee produced. Look at what the allegations were. Look at what the evidence was against the former president. Uh, Some of that we may not know for years, frankly, Jared. Well, we'll have hearings next week, and we'll continue to to follow those and talk about them in the uh, meantime. Chad, get some rest. Appreciate the time. Thank you. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. When the president signed off on sending sophisticated weapon systems and billions of taxpayer dollars to, quote, defend democracy in Ukraine, the administration did so knowing there'd be few, if any, guardrails in place to protect the American taxpayer. Buoyed by lawmakers from both parties, 
A series of multi-billion dollar packages sailed through Congress with no significant hearings or substantive briefings on the use of the money, sparking concerns on Capitol Hill about misplaced priorities and whether in the process the administration was ignoring a nearly 50-year-old law which governs the use of weapons extended to other countries. There's actually been $73 billion that's been appropriated. Two weeks before the $40 billion package, we we approved and it was passed overwhelmingly, $33 billion that actually went to direct uh, ammunition support for Ukraine. Byron Donalds is one of 22 GOP lawmakers who penned a letter to the White House demanding answers. That was done two weeks prior. The $40 billion that everybody focuses on now that money was actually to refill American stockpiles for the most part of the munitions that we sent overseas. And then another $10 billion of it was for refugee resettlement issues uh, because of, you know, obviously the refugee crisis that's hit uh, Eastern Europe because of the invasion. I think the thing that has Americans furious is that there just doesn't seem to be any plan or strategy from the White House. And then secondarily, our southern border is wide open and it's on, it's wide open on purpose. So, like, how are we going to send billions of dollars to help secure the Ukrainians when we can't even do the simple work of securing America? I think that's the thing that really has has Americans frustrated. Interesting. When you point out the border, just for perspective, I believe what I read in the final report, uh, the last I saw anyway, was that the price tag to complete the border wall was right around $10 billion. And so when you compare and contrast that $10 billion to secure the American homeland, critics have argued that that money would have been well spent here versus, say, again, uh, more than 40, 50, 60, 70 billion dollars sent over to Ukraine. By the way, uh, when we look at the numbers and the money that we're sending, I think there's great concern. In fact, a number of lawmakers, among them yourself, are writing a letter to the White House to express great concern that the White House itself is ignoring the Arms Export Control Act of 1976. Now, for the folks at home, uh, that basically governs and limits the use of weapons extended to other countries by the U.S. Describe your concerns. Well, my concerns are simple. I mean, if we're going to deploy large-scale munitions into another conflict, um, what is the culpability that the United States is going to bear for that? The second part is, like, what you're in for, just to be much more simple about it, once you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. And so this is the thing that actually is concerning us is once you take that step, you're you're locked in in this in this mission. So, frankly, what is the White House plan overall to get America out of this situation as feasibly and as seamlessly and as quickly as possible? But I think this is also speaks to a broader point. We are in this situation with Ukraine because Joe Biden and the leaders in NATO did not take uh, serious action when Vladimir Putin started amassing troops on a Ukrainian border. That troop amassment was last, lasted for six months prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And the last part is, and this is something the American people have to understand, um, is that we, the United States, actually have a signed agreement with Ukraine, with the British government, and actually with the Russian government to protect Ukrainian sovereignty. That was signed under Bill Clinton. And so there is an agreement that exists to protect Ukrainian sovereignty. I think that there are a lot of members of Congress and most Americans definitely do not want to see Ukraine fall under Russian control because it creates so many geopolitical uh, issues and economic issues if Russia takes control uh, for the United States. But Joe Biden could have actually staved a lot of this off if he had actually just 
led and done the right thing early as opposed to what he typically always does is allow crises to blow up then he looks dumbfounded not understanding how it happened then he tries to lecture us on on the fact that they knew everything before it started it's utterly ridiculous it reeks of a lack of leadership here in the united states here's what i don't understand and maybe you can help me unpack this just a bit when we're talking about billions of dollars a lot of zeros right there don't appear to be, Congressman, any guardrails to protect the American taxpayer. Uh, one critic said this aid package approved by Congress not only provides unprecedented funding for a foreign conflict in which the U.S. is not fighting, there have been no significant hearings or substantive briefings on the subject and the use of the money at taxpayer expense. I think this is a critical issue. What do you say? No, I, I totally agree. Uh, that was actually the objection of Senator Paul in the Senate. And he was the one senator who was holding it up saying, listen, OK, if you want to be supportive of Ukraine, we can understand that. But to put no protections for the American taxpayer, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense at all. And and he was right. And I think what a lot of Americans are concerned about is absolutely correct. Look, if we're going to deploy money like this, the least we could do is make sure that we have inspector generals actually monitoring how those dollars are, are spent, how they're deployed. But in this in the forty billion dollar package, there are no controls about how this money is spent. It just goes. And I think that's the part that's that's really uh, damning with respect to to how Congress went about this and how the administration went about this. The second part is, and this is to your point, there were no hearings on Capitol Hill about this money. We we were actually on a, a recess break. We were on a district work week. Everybody's coming back to D.C. We started getting word over the weekend before we got back that, hey, there's going to be a new Ukraine package of $40 billion. Members of Congress are like, wait, what? Didn't we just fund $33 billion for Ukraine? What's this $40 billion? Next thing we know, it's on the floor on a Tuesday for a vote. And the word is like, oh, if you vote against it, then you're not supporting Ukraine, then you're somehow pro-Putin. I mean, that's the nonsense that happens on Capitol Hill when when you have a lot of members who are just like, listen, I, I, w- I want to be supportive of Ukraine, but you got to give me an opportunity to even understand what we're spending $40 billion on. There was no debate, no hardly any debate, no hearings, no discussion, no real time for members to actually read the bill before we before the vote happened. I think this is one of the other areas of frustration, if you will allow me. It's not just the fact that it got on the floor. It's not just the fact, Congressman, that it sailed right through. It's the fact that it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans as well. I think there's a bit of wonder when people say, well, wait a minute, bipartisan support for spending all this money without any guardrails, it doesn't seem to make sense. When you talk to your fellow colleagues... What do they say to you? How do they explain? And how do how do you then explain that to your constituents? Well, I think some of it was the concern that if we didn't do the the supplemental package, uh, we wouldn't, like I said at the beginning, replenish some of our stockpiles in our own military apparatus that we essentially gave off to Ukraine uh, for for their war effort. But my attitude was, you know, Last time I checked, we're not in any major we're not in any major military conflict. Um, if if we were engaged in a military conflict, there's hardly any doubt that Congress wouldn't fund the necessary dollars to replenish our stockpiles. 
Um, we didn't give Ukraine all our weapons. That's just illogical. Nobody, nobody said we were doing that. And so there wasn't a need to rush to do this, um, which is why, the, you know, one of the key things in this package, like I said, there's $10 billion that goes for refugee resettlement and food security issues because of the conflict. No discussion on any of that money. It just went out the door. Meanwhile, our southern border is wide open. Gas prices are $5 a gallon in the United States on average. Um, and we can't even process enough petroleum here in the United States. Stuff that we can do, easy stuff to get done, except that, you know, Democrat leadership and Joe Biden is not focused on any of that stuff. They don't want to secure the country, but it's okay to send money overseas. Enormous sums of money being spent on a war in a country that even the former President Obama long maintained had no vital interest. All the while, Americans here at home are dealing with shortages and a major economic downturn. Congressman Byron Donalds, very interesting conversation. We certainly appreciate you spending time with us here on the Fox News podcast. Sure, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. This is an unprecedented term for the U.S. Supreme Court with a major draft opinion leaked and new security concerns for the justices. I'll talk with Fox News chief legal affairs correspondent and Fox News at Night anchor Shannon Bream about the toll it's taking. And my colleague Jessica Rosenthal looks at the Latino votes in the upcoming midterms. Until then, I'm Jared Halpern. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.